I'll confess to you, I'm a little wound up today, so um, get ready, I guess. I don't know what to say about that. But, um, man, are you persuaded about Jesus? I mean, I mean, really, are you persuaded? You know, um, do the people that rub shoulders with you, that, that know you, do they know that you are completely convinced about Christ, about who he is, what he did, and how he's changed you. You know, I've been around people that are persuasive, and and persuaded people tend to be persuasive, right? And and when I think about just the significance of this whole day, of, of seeing these families that are, were before us, and they're all, they're having breakfast now, and they're, they're going to be in our next service, but you know, I think about the, the significance of how important it is for our children and our grandchildren to know that we really believe in Jesus. And I'm convicted that, that so many of, of us as parents have this practice that when it comes to parenting and influencing, it, we see our job as I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my kids to school so the teachers can teach them. I'm going to get them to practice so that my, the coaches can coach them. I'm going to get them to church so the youth minister, children's minister, and preacher can disciple them. And we forget that as moms and dads, we're the greatest influencer of our children. And grandparents, you have tremendous influence over the lives of your grandchildren. And, and, and you know, it's our job. I, you know, I'm, here we are. You know, I, I can, we look at these families. I was with them Wednesday, and I said, I said you know, we're, we're about to send our second child off to college. We're six months from that, which... which after August, I'm probably going to be walking around depressed, you know. I hear that once you get, you know, once the empty nest comes, you're sad for about a, two days, and then you get excited about it. But, uh, but I don't know that from experience. But, um, but you know, I'm kind of sad about it. And, I, and, I'm, and we're, we're asking ourselves, man, have, have we done a good enough job preparing our kids for the world? And when one of the things that we are in the middle of doing is helping our children, my son, I'm saying, you know, look, I'm, here's why I'm convinced, Eric, and we're having all kinds of conversations about the Lord and about life. And, and, and you know, this is our job as parents, right? To persuade our children and grandchildren. I don't have grandchildren yet, thankfully. thankfully. But, um, but, but, you know, we're, we're persuasive, and this morning, I'm wound up because we're hearing Paul, and we've, we've, and we've heard this before. His, he's just sharing his testimony again. Acts 25 uh, to, and 26 is where we are today. And, 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 and we're in this part of Acts, that, and, and we've been in here for a little while now, and we're tracking with Paul as he goes all the way to Rome. And, and a couple weeks ago, last week Mike Taylor was here, but um, a couple weeks ago we were you know, just saw in Acts 25 as, as Paul appeals to Caesar. And, and, and you know, um, what I love about Paul is he, he's, he's in, this, in the midst of this trials, these, these different divine appointments as, as people come in and out of his life and summon him 
And it's interesting that they are summoning him. He's just a prisoner, but all these officials keep coming through going, I want to talk to this guy. And, And I think that's interesting because he's persuaded. And because he's persuaded, he's persuasive. And it reminds me of, of our call as Christians that, that, that we're to be so persuasive, unapologetically, that, that a lost world, people that don't know Jesus are to say, dude, what, what is it about you? What, what is it in your life? And, and, and it should be normal for us to, to, as we walk with Jesus, for people that don't know Jesus to be curious about us, right? And... and but, but you know what I, what I think? Sometimes we pass the persuasive buck a little bit. We, we want to say, you know, let's let the preacher do that. I need to get you with the preacher. And, and, and we say to our kids, let's get with the youth minister. And, and we forget, no, it's our job as moms and dads. And, 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 and as we go to work, I loved our mission trip that we went on this week as, as, uh, as in our workplace. There were over 50 people that went on a workplace mission trip this week. And you know what? They're, they're not passing the persuasive buck. They're saying, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to I serve you. Acts 25, I want you to look at it with me because um, if you look at verse, we're going we're gonna to be in 26 today, but I want us to see this incredible passage. And, and, um, and, and Paul was so persuasive. Verse 13 of chapter 25, we remember um, he was... Paul was before Festus. Festus is, is, is this new leader, and that's kind of where we're picking back up. And you can go back and listen to the other messages to get the background. But Festus is, is a, a Roman leader, and, and um, Paul is a prisoner, and he had just appealed to Caesar. And Festus wanted to follow the law. He wanted to keep the rules. He was a, that was a value to him. So he said, okay, then he looked at his his counsel and said, okay, to Caesar, you're going to go. Well, um, verse 13 says, now when some days had passed, Agrippa, the king, and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. So, so Agrippa is just kind of making his rounds. King Agrippa is his name. Let me tell you about him. He's an interesting cat, okay? King Agrippa uh, is in the line of the Herods. And what's interesting about him is after King Agrippa II, there are no more Herods. He's the last one. And that was quite a dynasty. Now, if you look at him, uh, this is going to surprise you because this is King Agrippa II. Do you know who his dad was? King Agrippa I. Isn't that cool how that worked? That's amazing. Um, um, But... But, but you remember him, he was the one that, that, that uh, killed James, the apostle, he beheaded him, King Agrippa I was. And, uh, and he was going to kill Peter, he wanted to kill Peter, but King Agrippa I, this King Agrippa II's daddy, he's the one, remember how he died? He's the one that, that stood in front of all of God's, uh, of the, uh, in front of all these people, and, and he took praise as a god. He accepted praise as a God. And in that moment, God killed him and he was eaten by worms. So just if you're ever in a moment where you're saying, I want to receive praise to God as God, as a God, I just don't do that. It's not a good idea. And, and so he was, a, he was a quite, that was his daddy. His granddad was Herod Antipas, who he was the one that, that beheaded John the Baptist. 
his great-granddad was the Herod who killed all the babies when Jesus was born. So this is this guy's heritage. Now, Bernice is with him, and it's interesting when you hear about Herod, Antipo- Herod Agrippa II, he's always connected with Bernice. Do you know who Bernice was? It was his sister. And, and this is, is kind of going to make you go, oh, thank you for telling me that. But, but it's, it's really who, he, who she was. She was married before, and her husband died. And so then she... Every time you see Herod Agrippa II, he, Bernice is always with him. And, and Joseph Flav, Josephus Flavius, he talked about them, that, that the rumors were spreading that this brother and sister were sexually involved. And that's what they think. They, they live together and they are always together. And it's interesting as, verse 13, they show up and, uh, and Festus says, hey, there's this Jewish guy. This guy that, that is in prison, and, and I kind of inherited him, and I've got a problem with him. because he tells, he tells King Agrippa the story about him. He said, you know, there, there's really no charges against him, but he appealed to Caesar. And it's interesting because um, he, he says, verse 20, I'm at a loss how to investigate these questions. I don't even know what to do. I'm trying to do what's right. I don't know what to do. And and it's interesting, Festus, verse 22, then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. And so it's interesting, Agrippa is following his, um, his Herod habit here. And so verse 23, so on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp. And they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And I think it's interesting. Um, this king says, I want to hear from Paul. And Paul comes in before him. And, and it's interesting, as you look at verse 1 of chapter 26, look at this. So, so Agrippa said to Paul, you have my permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hands and made his defense. And you know what Paul says? And think about Paul. He's been imprisoned with no charges. He is unju- it's unjust. It's not fair. And look what he says in verse 2. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, that I'm, I'm standing. Now, if I was like in the, in the midst of someone powerful, I'd be like, dude, what, why am I here? Paul's like, no, I'm, I'm so glad that I get to be here. Now stand with me. We're going to pick up in verse 12 as Paul starts sharing his testimony. It's really cool. Verse 12 says this. In this connection, Paul's beginning his testimony. He's talking about his life. Verse 12. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. 
But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a, as a servant and a witness to the things which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may, be, they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, now what, what I, this is so amazing. So Paul, again, he's sharing his testimony. We've, this is the second time we've seen Paul share his testimony, but in this it's so amazing because he, he's persuasive. Why is he persuasive? Because Paul is absolutely persu- persuaded that God has changed his life. He's convinced that God has changed him. And here's what, what I'm struggling to recognize in my own life. How can I be silent about my faith in Christ? Because God has done so much for me. I mean, when you look at Paul, this, and it's so interesting as all through his journey, you see these very powerful people that are saying, I got to hear from him. I want to talk to this guy. And look at what, as Paul shares his story, he says back in, um, he talks about this moment. I, look, I was just going along my way and, and God spoke to me. God came to me. Now, now, I don't know about you. You're, you're probably a lot more like me. I didn't have a, an experience like this. I didn't have a bright light and fall off a horse and go, oh, my goodness. God did not say to me audibly, Chris, Chris, what are you doing? You know, what's interesting about each of our conversion experiences, they're all different. You know why? Because God knows you. God came to you. And, and we all sometimes go, well, I wish I'd have had something like Paul. Well, you're not supposed to have. You're not Paul. God came to you. And when the moment that God came to you, that was a big deal. That was a beautiful moment. And, and, and Paul, all he's doing is remembering, and he said, you know, look, what, what did God do? He opened my eyes. God opened my eyes. There, and I hope there's been a day that God has opened your eyes to who Jesus is. I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Is Paul, what is he saying here? Point number one, if you're following on your notes. And I want you to understand this about salvation, that, that when salvation comes to a, a person, did you realize that God is the first mover every time the gospel is communicated? That, that when, when the gospel was communicated to you, do you know that was God coming to you? That was God sending somebody to you. And, and for us, you know, I, I look at our 2019 challenge that, that we're asking the Lord, and I want to remind you of this, that, that we're asking the Lord, God, would you give me one person this year to, to get to be a part of leading to faith in you? I mean, I hope you pray that. I hope that you're in the middle of saying, Lord, would you use me in the life of somebody? Look, it, it, it should not be the case that that a person can live for many years knowing Jesus as their Savior and never share their faith with somebody. That, that, that's, a, that, that's not possible, right? 
how, how can we be quiet? And then Paul was like, I can't be quiet about this. Oh my goodness, I can't be quiet. And because what happened, he, God moved in his life, right? And I want us to look back. How, you're, do you remember a time that God opened your eyes? Now let's think about what, what happened there. The salvation message opens our eyes, right? The Bible calls that justification. That's the moment in your life when you were made just like you never sinned. And, and, and has that happened to you? Has that been an experience in your life when, when God opened your eyes and like, Jesus, I see who you are. I, I know who you are. You're, this, you're, you're not only the Savior of the world, you're my Savior. And maybe today there's somebody in this room that that's news to you. That even in this moment, God's going, wait, I need a Savior. And see, Paul, he was like, that was where I was. He says, um, God said to me, I'm sending you to, to the Gentiles, to people, to open their eyes. And, and see, that's, that's the moment when your eyes are open. That's that moment when God Saves you. You're, you're, you're made just like you never sinned. But, but what else does the salvation message do? The salvation message exposes darkness, doesn't it? It, it exposes darkness. That's what Paul said. He goes, look, it exposed darkness in my life. And, and, and you know, that, this is the process of sanctification as we grow up in our faith. The, the second that we're born again, you know, we're, we're, we need to grow, Right? You know, it's like when, when Emily, my, my, my oldest daughter who's at OBU, she took her first steps at False Creek. Um, we were at camp. It was a youth camp. And we're at False Creek at Camp Nani Chaha. That's what we, we had rented that for our student ministry. And, and, and Emily is up there, and, and she's like, we're like, okay. And we put her down there, and we let go. And she was like, and then she, bam, hit the rocks. It was awesome. And... Uh, and I didn't look at her and go, Emily, walls are athletes. What are you doing? You don't fall down. No, I, oh, I'm so sorry. We picked her up, and, and then she, she walked. And it was rough at first. But, but you know, it's kind of like God is spiritually. we got to learn and grow. And, and what God does all through our journey on earth, he helps us. He continually helps us see the darkness that's in our lives. This is why church is important. This is why growing up in your faith is important. This is why learning how to be a witness is important. Paul says this. The salvation message, you know what else it does? It completely changes destinies. And this is what the salvation message is. It, do you realize that because of Jesus, your destiny is completely changed? That, that in the, we're all mortal, right? You know that, right? There's not going to be a pill that's going to be invented or a surgery that will happen that will keep you from, from passing from this life. I just want you to know that. If you didn't know that, I just wanted to tell you today that we're all mortal. And, and I'll tell you, the day that we draw our last breath, that's a glorious day as a believer. That's the day we go to heaven that, that the, we get to see the Lord face to face. And Paul's like, he understands this. And he's like, look, I have hope because of Jesus. Because he rose from the dead. I saw him. I, Agrippa, King Agrippa, I saw him. 
And he tells his story. And, and Peter talks about this. And I love what Peter writes in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. He says, but you are a chosen people. This is who we are. This is why we can't be quiet. This is why we need to understand the magnificence of salvation. But you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. I mean, think about this. Peter says, this is who you are. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. You see, once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, that's what, I mean, that's what a Christian is. is someone that's been called out of darkness and into the light. And has that happened to you? Can you look back at a time in your life when you say, you know, once I'd received mercy. There, there was a time that I hadn't received it, and then I did. There, there was a time that I was not a people of God, and now I am a people of God. And so, see, this is what Paul keeps speaking up about. And it's beautiful, and it's amazing, and I pray that that's happened to you. And this is what should spill out of us as just we go through life. This is what our, our children need to understand. If you've not shared the gospel with your children or, or shared your testimony with your children, please do it today at lunch. And say, let me just tell you why I'm persuaded that Jesus is the Lord of all. And, and can I just say to you, if you can't find a time in your life that you've had that eyes open, your heart changed, yeah, that might, that might be today. And, and so you could receive Christ today and Paul is just so persuasive and motivated and like, oh my goodness, look at my life. My life has changed, King Agrippa. And I want you to know, look at verse 19. This is really cool. Chapter 26. He says, therefore, O King Agrippa, and look at this, this struck me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, and then to Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. I love this. Paul says, look, I wasn't disobedient to the heavenly vision. You know, point number two, it's very important that, that we're to live obediently to the heavenly vision. Now, I've thought to myself this week, have I ever been disobedient to the heavenly vision that God has for my life? You know, I think the first step is recognizing, I want you to know that, did you know that a heavenly vision actually exists for you? I mean, think about that. God has given, has called us to a heavenly vision and you know, when I think about some of the, the struggles that I've had in my own life, some of the times that I've, I've been missing it in my life, it's times that I've not seen or, been, or, been, or turned my face 
to that heavenly vision. And I think about us as a church, man, I don't want to miss as your pastor a heavenly vision for my life and for our church. I don't, want to, I don't want you to miss a heavenly vision for your life. And, and, and I pray that we can seek to understand the details of that heavenly vision. And you see, I love it that Paul looks at Agrippa and says, look, I've not been disobedient to that heavenly vision. And, and you know, when's the last time you sat down and said, Lord, would you give me a heavenly vision for my life? Not an earthly vision, a heavenly vision. And then, and then, you know what? I want to tell you, get ready. Get ready. I, I dare you to pray it. I dare you to ask the Lord for that heavenly vision. But get ready, because then you're going to have to act on that heavenly vision. And that's where it gets a little uncomfortable. This is why I say all the time, I meet people and say, you know, church is boring. Eric has some friends in his life that they're like, oh, man, church is boring. I'm like, dude, something's wrong with what's going on in your life if, if coming to church is boring. Because let me tell you something. I mean, coming to church might be boring, okay? But following Jesus is never boring. Like, like following Jesus is a lot of things in my life. As I look back on my life, it's been a lot of things. But boring does not fit. Scary sometimes, that's, that's fit. Uh, a little uncomfortable, well, a lot uncomfortable, uh, that's fits, that fits. Um, costly, that fits. Um, adventurous, that fits. Uh, amazing, that fits. Um, don't miss it. Don't miss a heavenly vision. And this is why Paul was so persuasive. I mean, and, and, and I think that, you know what, if, if we're not persuasive or persuaded, I think it may be because we're not looking for or obeying that heavenly vision. It just struck me. And then what does he say? Verse 21. He says, look, for this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I, look at this, and I love this. Paul's like, you're a prisoner, dude. You, you're, you can't go where you want to go, but what does he say? To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. You're like, you've been beaten up. You've been, you know, you're a prisoner. And he looks at this king and said, no, I've had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here today testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses would come to pass, and that Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Now, Let's go back to that First Peter passage. Carl, I want you to put that up. First Peter chapter 2. He says this. Go back to the first one if you could, Carl. But you are a chosen people. You're a chosen people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness 
and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And Peter writes, dear friends, I urge you, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. You live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may glorify God on the day that he visits us. See, that's part of the heavenly vision. That we are to be um, live as aliens and strangers in the world, that, that we should abstain from these sinful desires that war against our soul. This is why, without apology, we are pushing one another and holding one another accountable to be right with God. This is why we had this moment today to look at these parents and say, Stay close to the Lord, stay in church. We are here for you. We will hold. Did you notice, though, the, the, the commitment we made to them? We'll hold you accountable. You know, that's what church is, right? A group of people that is in your life so closely that they can, we can hold one another accountable. This is why as at church, we're not just to come in the room and leave and not be known. We're to know one another and be known by one another. And this is important. This is why I pray you join plug in. And if it's not here, go somewhere to a Bible teaching church and join and plug in. But it's amazing. Verse 24. It's interesting because as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. You know what the Greek translation of this is, is that Paul, your elevator doesn't go all the way to the top, right? No, not really. They didn't have, I don't think they had elevator, elevators back then. But he's like, you're nuts, Paul. You're a few sandwiches shy of a picnic, Paul. Paul, you're, you're crazy. Isn't that sometimes what we get if we follow Jesus? You, you guys really believe that? You really believe that the Bible is the word of God? We do. You really believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead? We do. You really believe that, that you, you were born a sinner? Oprah says we were born good. She's not right. We were born sinners in need of a Savior. And the thing that God did for us is not leave us like we were born. But he's called us to this new birth. And, and Paul said, verse 25, but Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. This is why I, I believe this as a Christian. I didn't have to check my brain at the door to follow Jesus. And, and, and we don't look at our, our kids as they come up through our student, our children's ministry, or excuse me, our preschool, our children in our student ministry and say, oh, just believe, just believe, just believe. No, we don't say that. We help them say, look, there's a reason for our beliefs. You don't have, you can be intellectual. Actually, it's most intellectual to consider Jesus. 
I mean, it's, it's the most intellectual thing you can do. And, 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 and you know, the, a rational person, a logical person, has to confront, is Jesus who he said he is? And I would consider every one of you to do that. And for us to help our kids grow up with an understanding of why we believe what, what they believe so that when they go to college and they go into a world that says, look, it doesn't make sense for you to believe in Jesus, we go, oh, time out, time out. It doesn't make sense for me not to, Mr. Professor. I know you went to school a long time. But there's a reason for the hope that I have. And so please understand, we don't check our brain at the door to come to faith in Christ. It makes sense historically, philosophically, logically, spiritually. And Paul says, look, I'm, look I, I know. I'm speaking true and rational words. Verse 26, this is interesting. For the king knows about these things. And to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. And I love this. For this has not been done in a corner. Isn't that cool? He's like, look, I'm rational here. King Agrippa, this wasn't done in this little corner of the world. This was not hidden. You know this, King Agrippa. You know this heritage. You know about Jesus. And I think that's why King Agrippa was like, I got to go talk to this guy, Paul. I want to hear this guy. And look at verse 27. So cool. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Why? Because he was Idumean. He was Jewish descent. He goes, I know you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Oh, man, I would love to look, put on spiritual glasses and see what's going on in this moment. To see the Agrippa being moved by this persuasive man, Paul, and, and going, oh, my goodness. Um, are you trying to, I'm almost persuaded. I, I could, uh, man. Paul, you know, I'm not like Felix over here who's Roman. It's like, man, you're a, nut, you're a nutcase. But Agrippa's like, are you trying to persuade me to be a Christian? Should that surprise us? Should, maybe it shouldn't surprise those that know us that we're being persuasive about our faith. And can I just throw out there that if, if people that know us don't recognize that we're trying to be persuasive about our faith, maybe we're not accepting the responsibility that we have. And he I love what Paul says. And Paul says, verse 29, and Paul said, look, King Agrippa, whether short or long, I would to God that you, not, that not only you, but all who hear me this day might become such as I am. 
except for these chains. Oh, King Agrippa, I wish that you would, you would see this. I wish that you would become a Christian. I wish that you would know my Savior. I wish that you would see who he is and what he can do in your life. And, and I just want you to know, I, if you're here today, I wish you would come to Jesus. I wish you would see who he is and what he's done. And verse 30, the king arose and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them, when they, withdraw, when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And this really interesting statement that Luke records and Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free had he not appealed to Caesar. And some people look at this and go, oh man, Paul, Paul missed an opportunity here. I could have been let go. That, isn't this interesting? That God's plan for Paul was not for him to be let go. That his plan for him was to be a prisoner. So this prison sentence was a calling in his life. Well, let's, let's, let's think about that for a second. Um, uh, this is a struggle. This is a difficulty being a prisoner. And you know what? Have, have we considered that when we get that phone call that we have cancer, that that struggle might be a calling of God to show the world how to honor the Lord with cancer. If you, you know, the thing that you think it would be natural for Paul to pray is, God, get me out of prison. But Paul doesn't pray that. He's like, I'm honored to be here. Agrippa, honored to be here in front of you. And what I love about this is Paul's this persuaded witness that lives sent. And do you know that as a, a persuasive, persuaded witness, do you know what they do? They live sent. And, and I'm telling my son, not where do you want to go to college, but where is God sending you? trying to help him develop a vision to live sent by God, whatever that calling will be. And can I ask you a question today? Do you have a persuaded heart? Is your heart persuaded? Are you living a persuasive life? Do you articulate a persuading message? I just want to say we, we must. Because we live in a world that needs Jesus with, around people that we love and know and work with, care about, that need the Lord. And I want you to consider God, in his love for people, has sent you. 
for a reason. We're going to have an invitation. And maybe this invitation for you is to explore God's voice in your life for salvation. Maybe this invitation for you is to recommit to, Lord, look, I've, I've not been the witness I need to be. Maybe it's to get on your knees and pray for your kids and your grandkids for your conversation that you're going to have at lunch today. My prayer every time we gather is that we listen to the voice of God and follow him. Would you? It's so sad to me that Agrippa withdrew and didn't listen. And the saddest part of Scripture, man, I was almost persuaded. Man, don't be almost persuaded. Persuaded.